You brought your Bibles with you this morning. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? This passage is also found in your bulletins, uh, or if you'd like to use one of those blue Bibles, it's page 984 of uh, the blue Bibles that are there. And keep your bulletins handy. We'll actually need those as we uh, go through this sermon uh, this morning. So this morning, we continue this brief series that we've been doing Uh, now for, this will be the third week, on the spiritual disciplines, those practices that help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the command that we find at the end of 2 Peter, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And spiritual disciplines are part of the way in which we proceed with that growth. The first sermon that we had was two weeks ago. It was here in the morning. And we preached on, or I preached on, make every effort, which kind of shows us the disposition that we have to have with respect to this growth. What's the intensity level that is asked of us, that is commanded of us, that's required of us? Make every effort, each of us according to the situations in which God has stationed us and placed us. And then last Sunday evening, we continued and we looked at the first discipline in this series that, we're gonna, that we considered specifically, and it was the discipline of cogitation. Now, cogitation was just a way to get these Asian words to, remi- to rhyme in the course of the sermons. But the idea was the discipline of biblical thinking, of organized and orderly thinking about things, of hard thinking about the things of the Lord, about the things of uh, of God's word. And our passage today, just I just want to put it in context here, assumes that same idea. And we'll talk a little bit about it, but you look in verse 2, it says, set your mind on things that are above. And that's what we were talking about. In the discipline of cogitation, we were talking about the setting of our minds on the things of God and the deliberate efforts that are needed for that. So, building on those two things, today, We are considering the discipline or the disciplines of mortification and vivification, okay? Mortification and vivification. Now, the language, just so you're aware of it, as I read through this passage for us in just a moment, the language of mortification is seen in this passage where you get to phrases like put to death or put off or put away. And the language of vivification is seen in this passage with where you see the word put on, put something on. That's the language of vivification. So the idea is kind of an out with the old and in with the new, or take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. So with that in mind, with that said, here, this portion of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word, I'll read 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if, anyone, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Great God in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the instructions that we find here. It's not far from us. It's right here in front of us. It's right here in our hands. But we are dependent upon you to give us ears and minds and hearts that can hear these things, receive them, love them, and put them into practice. And so we ask you to do that and to continue to do that in our lives. Be with us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I certainly appreciate the fact that the words mortification and vivification are somewhat obscure. They're not often used in water cooler conversation, and they probably just don't roll right off of your tongue. Although I will say this, I was able to teach them to two of my uh, coffee shop buddies this week, and I was very proud of them for learning the uh, definition of these two terms. Here it is very simply. Okay, very simply, the idea of mortification is the process of putting something to death, and the idea of vivification is the process of bringing something to life. Uh, perhaps I could have uh, used the idea of renovation in this sermon to capture the title of it. I could have called it the discipline of renovation, the renovation of our lives. Now, I have shared this uh, before, but when... I was in college. The job that I did that carried me all the way through college, and which in those days was sufficient for me to be able to pay at least for half of my education, was renovating a house from the 1800s. I worked with a guy uh, who really wanted to do a great job of renovation, and so every summer break, every holiday break, every weekend that I had opportunity, I was working for this guy at this house doing this renovation work. And to be clear, I was the unskilled labor uh, part of the work that was going on. But the idea, the process of renovation is pretty simple, and we're all familiar with it, whether you've done something like that or not. It involved the process of removing much of that which was old or was useless or perhaps that in some way had become rotten over the course of the years and was in some process of decay. And then replacing it by bringing in that which was new. 
and that's what is involved in mortification and vivification as well. In mortification, you look at the verbs that are used that there in verse 5, verse 8. You put it to death. You put things off. You put them all away. You take that stuff that's become old and useless and rotting and you get rid of it. You rip it out of your life. And then, of course, in the process of vivification, you, verse 12, put it on, right? You put on those things as God's chosen ones, as God's holy people. Here's what you are to put on. And then we're given the list of things, the characteristics, the virtues that we are to put on. Now, here's the reality, and we'll deal with this very clearly and very upfront uh, here in this, uh, in this sermon. Home renovations, as difficult as they may be, and those who have done home renovations will say it's difficult and I couldn't get the contractor to do this and there was a delay with this material, etc., etc. As difficult as they may be, they ain't nothing compared to, how, to life res- renovation. Life renovation is much more difficult than that, and all of us who have tried it are aware of exactly that. The Bible calls what we are talking about today war. This is war. Our confession calls it a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In 1 Peter, and we were in 1 Peter, oh, I don't know, a while back now, but this verse was one of the verses that guided us as we were in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We, we're talking about warfare today when we're talking about mortification and vivification. Now, what I'd like to do in order to just kind of set this up a little bit more today is I'd like to show us the prominence of this theme, biblically speaking. And this is where I'd like you to pull out your bulletins with me uh, for a few moments because I've got the verses uh, that I want to reference right now listed uh, in your bulletin. First of all, let's look at the front of the bulletin. And obviously, in doing what I'm doing right now, I'm not going to comment on any of these uh, particular verses in depth. I just want you to hear how this theme is developed. So, Ephesians 4 on the front of your bulletin. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, very similar language there in Ephesians and in the passage that we're looking at in Colossians as well. To put it off, the old self, the old life, put that off and put on this new one. You've been recreated in Christ. Put on the qualities of this new life that you have in Christ. Now, turn in your bulletins to page 7. And on pages 7 and 8, after the service, I've included some more verses there that I think, again, help us to capture this idea. Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
So just like the passage in Deuteronomy 30 that we were, uh, that Jack read for us earlier, we've got issues at stake here that are issues of death and life, of life and of death. You've got to consider yourselves to be dead to this old life and alive to God in Christ. Then verse 13. Do not present your members, the parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Uh, the Titus passage that follows here is one that we looked at, I believe, the very uh, first sermon of this. For the grace of God appeared, and the grace of God trains us, verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the grace of God has come in, and it said, don't live like this anymore. Say no to this stuff over here that was characteristic of your old self, of your old life. Say yes to this. Say yes to this godliness and righteousness. Now, the next couple of passages, and I'm not going to read them uh, word for word in what follows here. The next couple of passages provide us with a list. Sometimes it's just a list of virtues, but some of them are lists of both vices and virtues as well. As is the case in our Colossians passage, you've got both vices that are listed and virtues that are listed as well. And, and look at the way these are framed. In Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, the vices are framed as the works of the flesh. And then they're enumerated there. They're put there on paper. I'm not going to read uh, all of them. And then the virtues are considered to be the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. In, and then let me just read verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so this old man, this old life has been crucified with Christ, enabling us to see the fruit and the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, flip the page to page 8. Uh, this Philippians passage, we certainly used it last week when we were uh, talking about cogitation, about how we are to think. And you've got a list of virtues that are there. Whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. It's a call to virtue, and that's exactly the same kind of thing that we saw for the two weeks that we were in Second Peter. Uh, and that passage from Second Peter is listed here in your bulletin. You're to supplement your faith. What do you supplement your faith with? With virtue. With virtue, with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Those are the things that characterize this new man, this living man, this life that we have in Christ. And those things were not characteristic of us before, but instead the vices were characteristic of, it, of us. 
Now, one of the interesting things about the lists that you find here in this is that a lot of these virtues, particularly the ones that are there on page 8, the ones that are listed in Philippians 4 uh, and 2 Peter, a lot of these virtues are common in the Greco-Roman world. So you might have a non-Christian writer that you approached and you tried to, ha or read them, and you read a list of virtues from them, and they would be very similar, in fact, to some of the things that are listed here. At least some of the character traits would be listed here as well. And I think the idea that we can appreciate is that, like renovation, you save what you can, right? You, you treasure what you can. You, you lay hold of what you can. You might have to take something out that was old in the house, and you might have to uh, clean it up. You might have to fix it. But if it's possible, you'll take it and you'll install it again. You'll reinstall that thing that is a beautiful piece of the oldness of the house and you'll save it. You'll hold on to that thing. The same is true here in these lists of virtue uh, that exist in Scripture. So to take two examples just from that uh, Second Peter passage. The virtue of self-control and the virtue of steadfastness are ones that folks in the Greco-Roman world would have said, yes, I know about those things. Those are virtues that I've been pursuing. But in Christ, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to remove them as in a process of renovation. You're going to have to reorient those things. So those things are lodged in self in the Greco-Roman world or perhaps in the state or perhaps in some ideal idea that's out there. But you have to take that out as a Christian. You have to lodge those things in Christ himself and then you can reinstall them, if you will. Put them back into your life. So that's why this is a process of renovation. It's not just building a new home. It's a process of renovation. Now, from all of those verses, what should be clear, what I want to be clear for us, is that this idea of mortification, putting to death those vices, and vivification, putting on those virtues... It's not just some kind of casual concern of God in Scripture. It's not an optional extra for us. Grace doesn't deliver us somehow out of this warfare. Grace doesn't say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to save you because of grace, not because of any of these things. So now you don't have to worry about doing any of these things because that was really hard, and I'll save you by grace instead of that. Instead, what grace does is grace delivers us from the penalty of the vices in which we were caught and occupied, and it secures us, but then it sends us back into the battle. The grace of God sends us back into the battle to take those things off, to put them off, and to put on the virtue. It sends us into the war. I, I've said this in the last two sermons in various ways, and, and I want to say it again with respect to this sermon as well. We have been, in our salvation in Christ, re-gifted moral agency, moral responsibility. We have moral agency so that now we are called to make every effort. That's, that's the responsibility that's given to us. We have the agency in us to make every effort. We have the moral agency, the capacity to set our minds, to think in a way. For, for Paul to command us, think about these things and put them into practice. 
That's a, that's a moral agency that is given to us. And now we have the moral agency as well to, and let me now borrow back from the words from Deuteronomy 30, we have the moral agency to choose life. To choose life by these practices, by doing that which is characteristic of righteousness. We have been enabled, and we confess this already together, we have been enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Enabled. Having said that, we have to be really careful not to get confused. This is actually a very dangerous sermon in that respect. We must remember, you, you have to remember the order here, we have to actively set our minds on the foundation. If you don't, you will get confused. You have to set your mind on the foundation. Paul says in verse 4 of Colossians chapter 3, Christ is our life. When Christ, who is your life, Christ is our life. You've got to set your minds on that. In verse 3, it says, In Christ we have died. In Christ we have died and we live in Christ. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's the idea. We didn't work or earn our way into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God by our heroic efforts at self-renovation via mortification and vivification. We didn't get in on that basis. Instead, we were brought in. We were transferred in by Christ. And hear this very carefully and hear the parallel here. It is very much scriptural and it is very much intended. We were brought into this kingdom by Jesus Christ, by his being put to death. In other words, by his mortification. You're brought into the kingdom of God by the mortification, the death of Jesus Christ, paying for that which is the due of our own sins, affecting our forgiveness through his body and blood. By being put to death on our behalf, his mortification, and by being brought to life, his being brought to life, his vivification on our behalf. His vivification on our behalf, not only that he comes alive in the incarnation as a man on this earth, but his vivification in being raised from the dead, by which his righteous life, his perfect life, is credited to our account. It is imputed to us. To avoid the danger then inherent in this sermon, you must set your mind on Christ who is seated above. When we are thus set, the Spirit of God gives birth to a new desire in us. The Spirit of God puts a new desire in us, and that desire is not only to be with Jesus. If you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a desire to be with Jesus. But there's a desire that is set in our hearts by the presence of the Spirit to be like Jesus, to want to please Jesus. 
And, and the Spirit works within us not only to generate this kind of idea, but also to provide the power. Now, let me give you a mouthful here for just a moment, and then I'll make it make sense, hopefully, after I say it. If in our justification, our gaining of a good standing before God, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us, it has been imputed to us, it's been given to us, then in this process that we're talking about right now, this process of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, a.k.a. sanctification, in that process... The righteousness of Christ has been, by the Spirit of God, infused into us. In one, if you will, in in this righteousness of Christ that justifies us, Christ says, I'm bringing you into my house. Okay? By the power of the Spirit convincing you of your sin and misery, enlightening your mind in the knowledge of Christ and in allowing you to embrace Christ, I'm bringing you into the house. In sanctification, in this growth in grace, this righteousness of Christ is infused into you. It's put inside of you. And now it's beginning a growth work in our life. That's, that's a mouthful, I know. But that's the idea that is here. The Spirit has planted a seed of righteousness inside of us, and it is growing, and we are commanded to grow in it. Another limited analogy would be, think of it this way. The Spirit of God gave us the life renovation bug. You know, if you've ever been involved in renovating your home, you know what the home renovation bug is. It's, it's the idea that you clean up one thing, you fix up one thing, and you're really happy with what it looks like, and then you look at the next place in your house and you go, that could really use some cleaning up as well. And you get the home renovation bug, and it goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Well, the Spirit of God has done that in our lives. The Spirit of God has taken us by the hand and said, I'm going to clean up. I'm going to renovate. I'm going to pour the sanctifying blood of Jesus Christ, the refreshing water of life of Jesus Christ, onto your minds, onto your hearts, onto your consciences, onto your wills. What do you want to do next? What do you want to do next is essentially what the Spirit of God says. Where do you want to go? What's the next room we want to go into in your life? Or where do you want to deepen this process that has now begun? Now, just by way of reminder, this is warfare. This is not home renovation. It's warfare. But if you look, this is what Paul is saying in verses 9 and 10 here. You have put off the old self with its practices. So he speaks in the past tense. Now, mind you, he's just been telling them to put stuff off. Now he says, you've put it off. You've put it off, and then in verse 10, and have put on the new self. So there's something that's already taken place. The old self's been put off. The new self has been put on. And then he continues on where he says, and this new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this work has been started in us. It's been started by the Spirit of God. It's a renovating work that took us out of darkness and into light and now says, now live like that. Now live as children of the light. Renovate the other parts of your life. So with all that in mind, I want to spend just a few minutes now as we wrap up the sermon asking, how do we practice? How do you practice the discipline of 
of mortification and vivification. I'm going to give you five. First, never give up. No retreat. Never give up. Engage the enemy more closely. Never give up. Give no quarter. Anyone, and I will say everyone here, anyone who has ever tried to engage in this discipline, this spiritual discipline of mortification and vivification, has become quickly familiar with the strength of the enemy. The world, the devil, our own flesh. And anyone knows that this putting off of the old and this putting on of the new seems oftentimes impossible. Putting off an evil desire and replacing it with a compassionate heart can feel like an impossible battle. Never give up. Are you a teenager? Never give up. Are you 45? Never give up. 75? Never give up. This is the call from Scripture. Be patient and endure. From our confession, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong. It may often be, and in many ways is assailed or weakened, but it gets the victory. Growing up through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. That's why you have to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, because he's at the finish line. He is already at the finish line, and he's saying to you, come on, keep running. Keep running. There is no doubt that you are going to reach this finish line. Keep running. Do not give up. In that assurance, we commit, we recommit ourselves to the process, to the lifelong discipline of mortification and vivification. Of course it's hard. Of course it is. Of course the setbacks are there. You will be safe. You will land safely on Jordan's side. On Canaan's side, sorry. Not on Jordan's side. On Canaan's side. When this battle is over. J.I. Packer calls this the discipline of endurance. Of, and this is still quoting Packer, stick to itiveness. A flat-out commitment to pleasing the Father through the Son as long as life lasts. Do you have that? A flat-out commitment. John Owen wrote a book on this called The Mortification of Sin. Here's what Owen says. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's a killer. Sin has one goal, your mortification. Not mortification in the good sense, just mortification. It wants to kill. It aims to kill. Don't take a day off. Kevin DeYoung 
writes this simple statement, effort is not a four-letter word. Never give up. Second, target issues of mortification and vivification specifically and directly in your prayer. You know this. In prayer, we express our dependence upon the Lord. We go to him who is our power and our strength. Pray for the destruction of the works of the flesh in your life and pray for the putting on of that which is good and right and true and lovely and honorable. Pray for it. In our prayer lives, we pray for all sorts of good things, right? We pray that the Lord would be with our families, that the Lord would help us in our work, be with our children, with our grandchildren, with our fathers and mothers. We pray for the church. We pray for people who are sick. Pray for Ukraine. We pray for missionaries who have gone out. We pray for a lot of good things. Pray for your mortification and vivification. Lord, help me this day. This day to honor you with my tongue. Not to speak words of gossip and slander. Not to speak things that are unholy. Not to diminish people with my tongue. But instead, to encourage one another. To speak words that are seasoned with grace. That can build others up in their faith. Pray specifically about your mortification and vivification. Third, think strategically and concretely. Do not underestimate this battle. The flesh will not yield and the fruit will not come with a casual approach. Wishing will never put sin to death. I bet most of you wish that it would be gone, right? Whatever sin you might think of. I bet you wish it would be out of your life. Wishing will not put it to death. It will not yield to that. You need to think and you need to plan strategically. Now, two weeks ago, two weeks ago I mentioned Benjamin Franklin and the effort that he took in order to develop, in his own words, moral perfection in his life and how he listed out the virtues and developed a whole system with it. It was, it was a way to focus specifically. Now, Franklin was a deist he was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though his parents were Puritans uh, and taught him the word. But he was trying to do something specific, and we have got to be specific as well. Running thoughtlessly into this battle uh, with your thought that everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to go well, and after today you'll go into this battle against mortification, against whatever sin, and trying to put on whatever virtue is in your mind from this sermon. Running thoughtlessly into it will make you nothing but cannon fodder. That is all you will be. You will be mowed down in this. You have got to think strategically about this. David wrote, I've laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've got to be equipped with the word of God inside of me. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look lustfully at a young woman. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters saying to us, to the church, essentially, you've got to understand. You've got to understand how Satan is working so that you can combat those strategies. Paul says, think about excellent and virtuous things. Do you know your weak spots? Do you know where you are vulnerable to attack? 
What are the situations that open you up to the works of the flesh, to the sin of the flesh? Do you know what virtue you want to put on? Now, there's no question, brothers and sisters, that undoubtedly we should strive after complete obedience to the Lord. We should seek to be holy. That's the command, right? Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. We should seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's no question about that. But I'll tell you what. When it comes to this idea of putting on virtue and putting on vice, surely we have to think through this thing strategically. Planning and targeting has to be done. Uh, People sometimes ask me about a comprehensive plan for their gardens. Can you come up with a plan for my house, for the gardens, for the front, for the back? I can't. Um, It's impossible for me to think that way. Other people could think that way. I can't think that way. I can't think that comprehensively. But what I also know is that they can't do it. Is that even if I could, they can't do it because it doesn't work that way. What I tell to people in that situation over and over again is great. Have some kind of a broad idea of what you want to do. That's great. You want it to be an informal garden. You want it to be an English cottage. Great. You want it to be something formal. Great. Have something idea, some big idea in mind. And then start in a corner somewhere. Or start in whatever place you want to start and focus on that place. Everything, everywhere, all at once may be the catchy title for a movie. It is a lousy approach to mortification and vivification. Because it can't be done that way. You just can't do it that way. You can't think about everything, everywhere, all at once in the multiverse. You're going to have to target. That, to me, is a human way to look at this. I know people will say, no, you look at the spirit and you look at things in totality. But I say you've got to pick on something. And you've got to do it specifically. Fourth, assess. How are you progressing in this warfare of mortification and vivification? Assess. Battlefield analysis. How are we doing? Now, you have to be careful here. The Christian life is a long run. And the more you grow, the more you see how far there is to go. Be careful. Look at Jesus. But also, examine yourself. Check for fruit. Pray for fruit. And then fifth and finally, what I would say is this is not a solo effort. You're going to need a few good, a few strategic friends and partners along the way. Fight to have friendships that help you specifically to grow, to fight together. Because two are better than one. This then is a call for a lifelong practice of the spiritual discipline of mortification and vivification. In this war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate, the renewed part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace. That's right out of the confession of faith. I'm sure of this, if you want it straight from Scripture, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us. You have implanted in us the desire to be with you and to be like you. You have implanted in us through the sanctifying spirit your righteousness. We pray that it would grow. And we pray that you would help us to trust in you and what you have done on our behalf, your mortification, your vivification on our behalf, and then to pursue you, to press on. Help us in that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with